0: This is Vanderbilt Business. Top-tier MBA programs have long excelled at turning young professionals into high achievers, using coursework, real-world projects, team building, immersive experiences, and more to help students earn the success they desire. A lesson that's harder to teach at B-School is staying true to yourself on the way to the top. Rehan Chowdhury, a 2007 MBA alum from Vanderbilt, has experienced the kind of success many MBAs aspire to. But in recent years, he's pivoted towards a professional life better tailored to his passions and his worldview. I caught up with him on his recent visit to Management Hall, where he'll be delivering an opening address to incoming students next month. So I'm here today with Rehan Chowdhury. Rehan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. So yeah, you know, doing some background research on uh, your career to date, it seems like you've lived a thousand different lives. <laughs> it's been all over the place. <laughs> um, could you tell our audience about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I
1: um, uh, graduated college in 2003, Uh, somehow landed as an IT consultant for the Department of Homeland Security. Post 9-11, developing emergency response systems to prevent communication, the communication failures that happened during the attack on on 9-11, which was incredibly meaningful work. But it turned out that living in a, a bunker, developing software systems wasn't the dream gig that I thought it was going to be. And uh, so I, I, I left and used that experience that I had to tell a story that, that, uh, was able to get me into Owen despite having a, a an embarrassingly low GPA from college from undergrad. Um, but I, I came I came to Owen and uh, did my two years here and um, got recruited by Caesar's Entertainment in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So the the, the global casino company. But they put me in um, in Atlantic City and I spent four and a half years roughly. Uh, doing everything from marketing strategy work to business development, promotions, uh, marketing operations, casino operations. Um, and I ended my time there as the, the regional director of uh, marketing and business development. And uh, at the time, the Atlantic City market was declining at such a drastic rate due to a number of different reasons, um, economy collapsing, losing their monopoly on gaming on the East Coast. Um, but we needed to find new ways to get people to come out uh, to visit. So I, I started creating large-scale events. I founded a food and wine festival partnered in partnership with the Food Network, some big televised sporting events, some stuff in fashion, but mostly food. And um, I never produced an event in my life. And besides being like the social chair here at Owen for a year... So I uh, I um, uh, ended up becoming a de facto festival producer for a casino company. And we couldn't say the Atlantic City market, but um, there was a casino in Las Vegas called the Cosmopolitan that was opening that year. This was, was 2010 at this point. And they um, were looking for a head of entertainment. And they wanted somebody who didn't do normal... Celine Dion residencies and Cirque du Soleil shows so I I was the weirdo that they found across the country (laughs) so they moved me out to Las Vegas and I designed the entertainment strategy for Cosmo produced a grand opening and ran their entertainment program for two years and um had had a great career there um or a great period of my life there and then just woke up one morning and realized that I'd gone further and further away from who I was as a person than I think I'd expected to because like when I was at Owen, I was a part of the founding uh, Project Pyramid team Um I developed. i spent a lot of time. I worked with 100% Owen. I'd spent a lot of time in, in nonprofit research. Um, and I was just trying to make a positive impact on the world. And all of a sudden, I was producing concerts for, for degenerate gamblers. So uh, I quit and decided to start a company. So I founded a festival in Las Vegas called Life is Beautiful. Did our first year in 2013. Uh, I partnered with uh, Tony Shea, who's the founder and CEO of Zap, co-founder and CEO of Zappos. Um, he was my investor, and we produced what ended up becoming one of Las Vegas's largest music festivals and one of the largest music festivals in the country. Does 150,000 people a year, and uh, had a brand that was a little more focused around social impact and social awareness. Um, not as far as I would have liked it to have gone, but it was a good stepping stone. Uh, exited out of that in 2016. And founded my new company, which is called The Beautiful Perspective. And our um, intention as a company now is to build a community of young uh, change makers, educate them on a wide range of social issues via. Uh, both uh, digital content, um, video, and written, um, and live experiences that are uh, focused around um, all the social issues we're covering on the digital platform, and ultimately build a community of people who are um, who want to make the world a better place and actually drive some real um, important change. Um, so I've been running this company for two years now. We're based at a we have offices in New York, San Francisco, Las Vegas, and. Somehow, Owen decided to have me come back and speak at and, and, uh,
0: orientation, so <laughs> so here I am. Yeah, here we are, a couple uh, of weeks until orientation. The, the intersection of audio, video content, and music, how does that work on your website or your other channels? Just how does that make sense for you, and how do you make that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're so. I mean, candidly, we're still trying to figure it out, but um, so we launched our platform a year ago. And the idea was, I mean, ultimately the idea is to build an ecosystem where you can consume content on a wide range of social issues, attend events where you can engage with people who are like-minded and interested in those topics, but then also talent who actually do work in those arenas, and then be able to bring it full circle by having all of those events produced out into into like the ted talk 2.0 style videos um so ultimately uh one there's a system there where you're constantly kind of engaged with the brand um and staying connected to a secondary kind of larger community of attendees who then you can create kind of micro solutions with so if you're attending one of our monthly series events in new york city uh, around a wide range of social issues and you meet two three four or five people you guys can get together and create uh, your own like micro Solution or your own um, kind of community of change makers. The way content uh, works in this whole system is one. Um, I believe that we need more sources of information that are just solely or vehicles of, of, of content production distribution that are solely focused around solving for the issues, not creating um, conflict around the issues. Which in the era of Breitbart on the far right and Democrats now, or democracy now, whatever it is, on the far left. um, uh, We're getting further and further away from constructive dialogue. Um, So we want to do our part in bringing that back. We are a more progressive platform, but still creating the forum for people to have discussions around issues and feel like uh, we're a part of humanity. And the second part is, like, people are more inclined to go be a part of these conversations if they're having fun, right? So, like late 60s, Woodstock was an anti-war festival as much as it was a cultural music festival. Um, The Tibetan Freedom Festival, Live Aid, events were anchored in what was going on in the world and all of a sudden we forgot about that over the last two decades. Um, So that's really the vehicle that we're using the most. It's getting people to come together for big concerts and headliners and all kinds of musicians, storytellers, speakers, chefs, artists. Um, And then once you're at the party it's injecting this kind of storyline of um, being an active member of the community isn't just something you do when you're donating your time, but it's something that you can be a part of throughout your entire kind of entertainment life
0: cycle. So that's a that's very fluffy way of explaining it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Talk about the transition between your life at Caesars and then shifting to something that in many ways is kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. How yeah. did you get your brain sort of retuned to handle that? Or did it even require a retuning?
1: Oh, no, it totally did. And I think... I think what's required is a, a healthy amount of self awareness and being a part of a community of people who are willing to call you on your bullshit. So, I, I think um, there's like three kind of phases of my life around that period. So, one was when I first started at Caesars coming out of Owen. And I, I chose Caesars, or Caesars chose me, because of an opportunity to uh, be a part of a company that had its hand in, in marketing strategy and development work um, that was purely office based, five years, 10 years out planning marketing executions so a program tactical brand execution for a number of different other weekend promotions or month-long or year-long promotions or activations that they were executing and then the ability to actually be a part of the operation so at any given moment when we we're working at caesars we were a part of long-term planning short-term promotion and actually touching like the customer and there are very few industries where you have the ability at a senior level to touch all of it and have access to all of it so at Caesars, I learned the most, by far, because it taught me um, what it meant to create a, a like a full ecosystem for your audience, because um, that's effectively what these casinos are. They offer everything, and being able to make sure that every element of the experience is tied to an overarching brand, an overarching storyline. Um, but then around the time, towards the end, and as I was transitioning into Cosmo, ego took over. Um What I started valuing more were the celebrities that I was associated with, the talent I was booking, the club I could get into, the table I could get into, who I was socializing with. That became more of a priority for me. And that's not something they teach you in business school, is how to not let your ego get out of control. But that is something that everyone carries and something that everyone's going to have to battle at some point or another. So I just remember waking up in Las Vegas one morning and and having hit all the professional milestones that that people strive to hit 10 years later than I did um, and all of a sudden realizing I didn't recognize myself in the mirror anymore so then I had, I had to reach back out to a wide range of people that I knew from Owen and even before that to try to get a sense of like okay like what was I what did I stand for or like what was I actually trying to do yeah. um, and then in that case it, it just involved a stark cut right so like I left a great job at Cosmo and then I sold my festival in Las Vegas at times where most other people wouldn't have done so because it was a good thing, but I knew that if I'd stayed in those environments, I was never going to be able to see those as just, I was never going to be able to put that aside as just, this is just a function of having to, of, of, a function of the industry that I work in or the job that I do. It was just always going to be a distraction that was going to keep me away from what I really wanted to do, which was engage with people and try to make the world a better place. I think part of it is just understanding why you're getting into the this mess in the first place. And... Surrounding yourself with a community of like close friends or family that can constantly remind you even when you forget So that's part of that. I don't know if that answered your question, but
0: no, it did. Yeah um, So I what we have here at Owen now and it, and this is true for a lot of business schools is there's a lot of opportunity to engage in social impact work mm-hmm. and and scratch that itch if you have a, if you have a need to serve the community or find a way to improve things that don't necessarily translate to a P&L and l those opportunities are here now. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of students, I think, struggle with similar things. Like, do I just go for the career that will give me this personal skills and development that I can use to become a better business person? Or do I go straight into an industry or function that sort of is more aligned with, you know, the project pyramids of the world?
1: So I just had lunch with Bart Victor before doing this, and he was actually the guy that we started he was our, 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 professor and champion for, and mentor for Project Pyramid. And that, enti- that, so those programs didn't exist when we first started here. I and mean, there was a, there was a hundred percent, Owen, which I think was the charity group at the time, but like there wasn't anything really substantial that, that connected what we were learning in the classroom with any sort of impact work. And I think one of the things that I learned from Bart was there is huge business. There's huge money associated with the impact. Um, there's also a lot of greed and a lot of risk that people are doing things for the wrong reasons. But um, if there's anything I learned coming out of Owen was is this: it's sustainable for-profit programs can have a greater impact on the long run than any nonprofit can, strictly because you have a constant um, foundation of resources. Um, and strength where you're not trying to figure out how to survive on a daily basis but rather you're using the assets that you have to deploy deploy in the right way. Now that could be Google creating program for-profit programs within their infrastructure for social good or it could be you as a startup creating a company like a beautiful perspective that's very much anchored in social good but ABP is a my company is a for-profit company. Um, so I think one of the things that helped is when I realized that I didn't have to sacrifice long-term career success. In any shape or form, by this desire to be a part of making the world a better place, and they're really good examples of it. So, like Tom Shoes ushered in the 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 buy one give one model that Warby Parker adopted, and there are a number of others. Tom Shoes, I think, so like, the investors took in their they basically sold half the company, I think, or a little more than half the company for four hundred million dollars, which was their first big exit. And the company's valued considerably more than that. Um, Warby Parker even greater, there is a huge opportunity. I think uh, step one is understanding why you want to get involved in impact work to begin with. And step two is um, what are your skills and your interests and what do you want to apply them to? So for me, I had to go work for the casinos to get to the point where I had the the bench strength to be able to do what I'm doing now. And I remember Bart actually telling me, Bart Victor telling me that uh, going to the casinos was probably not the best idea because it's the antithesis of social impact. But I had to learn it, like so. I, I think I think the good thing about it is you can go down that road at any point in your life. But there's no reason not to start now. And if anything, when you look at millennial purchase behavior and brand loyalty behaviors, it's actually a better marketing and business decision to be uh, to have a, some sort of a cause or some sort of a social impact platform fully embedded into your brand. It's just a smart business decision. It's why Nike released an entire line of rainbow-inspired goods for the Pride campaign, and they've gotten better and better at it every year. There's business there.
0: Where does ABP stand now, and where are you going to take it in the next year or two years? So we're
1: uh, so with a beautiful perspective, we're a year into uh, managing our platform. We're making a big shift um, to our content strategy. So right now we're, we produce general interest content around a wide range of social issues, but um, they're usually just they're articles and videos on, on specific stories that just pop up uh, out of what's going on in the world or what's popular or what our reporters find. Um, so we're going to be shifting that in October into a new platform that's going to be a monthly magazine of sorts. So um, digital but uh, instead of being kind of just general interest when you go to the site, each month is going, to be have, is going to have a very specific theme. So themes like home or fear or touch. So very general, like kind of relevant but very high-level themes. And then the idea is within that month's issue, we're going to tackle via... 30 to 50 articles and videos, um, all aspects of that. So let's say home is the topic. We'll talk about the refugee crisis and a family losing their home in Syria to bombings all the way through to what is the dependency or evolution of home look like when you're a victim of the opioid epidemic or what is building a home look like when you're a teenager still living with your parents. So um, the idea is creating awareness and empathy for a wide range of issues by connecting them to the way we live our day-to-day lives and doing that across a different issue each month. Um, So we're going to launch that first one in October. And then with that, we're going to do a monthly event in New York Um, that's going to be a a morning event series. So first thing in the morning, we're going to celebrate that month's um, issue with a concert And a keynote speech and a conversation for 500 to 800 people um, uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning before they go to work. Um, And that's going to be a recurring series that we're launching this fall. And then on top of all of that, we've got a um, big conference that we founded this year called Emerge Impact of Music. And the second year of that's going to be in February in Las Vegas, but it's, a, it's an annual festival slash conference um, that celebrates the intersection between emerging music and political activism. So we've got a lot in production. Um, so next 12 months are going to be about producing more events, honing our content
0: strategy, and growing our team. Well, Rehan, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, thanks, man. Um, I'm sure the students are going to love what you serve them up at orientation. So oh, I hope so. Yeah, glad you're back. Thanks. Thanks to Rehan for his time this week, and thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about the Vanderbilt-Owen Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.